great to have you all here. And again, I want to welcome all of you who are visiting. Uh, please come and have lunch with us at the end of our time together today. It's, it's a room right outside as you're leaving, and so I would encourage you just to stop, have lunch with us, get to know some people. And uh, there's no agenda other than just to feed you and give you a chance to get to know a few people in the church. It's hard to do that when we're looking at the back of each other's heads. So it's wonderful to be able to pull up a chair and look at someone and actually talk to them and get to know them. So I would encourage you to come. If you're visiting, you've been visiting for the last three or four weeks, we still would encourage you to, to come. We are continuing our series on Bee Making Plant, our, our goals up through 2020, which you can see up here. And we're really focusing in on this fall on planting people. When I say planting people, is that we're going to get into each other's lives. We're going to move out and move into people's lives. That we really see that that's the call on our lives. Is to go, is to go, is to go. That's written over the top of our doors as you come in. From Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said, all power rests in me. And, I, and he's giving that to us and he says, go. We'd love for him to say, go and make churches. But he says, go and make disciples. And so that's what we're focusing in on this fall. So what is a disciple? It's those who follow Jesus by up, in, and out. Growing up, in, and out. The up, in, and out is your relationship with God. The in is our relationship together with each other and as we interact with each other. And the out is what God has called us to do is to go and make disciples. That's what a disciple is. Discipling is helping others to follow Jesus growing up in and out as well. So we don't keep it. We don't just put it in our pocket. We don't just spend it here for an hour and a half on a Sunday. But we're moving out and we're sharing the good news. Tom's told you about the one, two, three. We just feel like if you can get in the Word, if you're taking a chance to pray every day, just to be with the Lord, start off with 10 minutes or 15 minutes and see what He does. And we're asking you also at least twice a month to meet in a small group and to meet in a D group, a discipleship group with people, both. We're asking you to do that. We're going to ask you to just take, give it three months. Give it three months. I truly believe that if we do this, it's going to turn our church inside out. And we're trying to, we're, again, we're, just, we're not asking you to do a bunch of stuff. We're asking you to be with the Lord, be with each other, and be with the people that God brings you into contact with. Just the normal stuff of the day. So what is a D group? It's a gender-specific group of two to five who intentionally encourage one another to grow as disciples. That's what a D group is. And of the same gender, two to five people that you're meeting with at least twice a month. But let's move into what we're talking about this fall, and that's cultivating a disciple's soul. I've been overwhelmed in this sermon. I am out of my depths. They tell you in homily classes, don't tell people that up front, but I'm in deep water. I'm just being really serious with you. I had no idea how little I had spent time thinking about the soul. So bear with me. 
please bear with me as I walk through this. And if you see me stumbling, pray for me. Because I, I, I walked in this morning uh, with a very healthy fear of God. I don't want to mess up his word. So with that, I'm going to ask Sumandu if you will stand and pray for me as I move into this, because I need it. Thank you, sir. So hopefully, in some shape or form of my sermon, I'll cover these things. Is What is the human soul? What does it consist of? How do you attend to your soul? What does it mean to keep one's soul? Why does it matter, or does it matter? And is your soul doing okay? Soul walk, soul knitting and moving into each other's lives. Hopefully in some shape or form that I will, I will have a chance to cover that in my 50-minute sermon that I've cut back <laughs> to 28 minutes. So some of you may be praying for me not only to be able to figure this out, but to cut my sermon to what it needs to be. It's interesting. I've asked a number of people, what's the definition of soul? And I've been amazed. Most people can't answer that. They kind of fumble around. Well, you know, it's this thing. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's inside of me. And um, it kind of, well, it's, it's who I, it's, I, I don't know. It's amazing. And, and, and I, it's really caused me to stop and say, okay, what is the soul? Dallas Willard and John Ortberg have helped me this week. They've been best friends, helping me to learn and walk through this whole thing about what does it mean to talk about your soul. Dallas Willard had some interesting thoughts on the human soul. You can see one of the things he said up here, and I'm going to read another quote from him as well. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, or your thoughts, or your intentions, or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of yourself. It is the life center of the human being. It regulates whatever is occurring in each of, each of those dimensions and how they interact with each other and respond to the surrounding events in the governance, overall governance of your life. The soul is deep in the sense of being basic or foundational and also in the sense that it lies almost totally beyond conscious awareness. Did it help? <laughs> Dallas Willard is a Ph.D. In, he was. He's passed away. He was a Ph.D. in philosophy at Southern Cal. And I usually have to read everything he writes five times because it just, but he, let me put it in these terms. Your soul is the essence 
of who you are. But unlike your body, it's not visible. You know, we have this trichotomy that we function in. We function in our soul, we function in our body, and we function in our spirit. We see our bodies. We understand our bodies somewhat. But the soul is kind of this thing that's running everything and is the kind of the computer program and integrates all of this other stuff together for us. And it's hard to see. You know, when, whenever I go past Gold's Gym or ACAC, the parking lot is always packed regardless of the day, regardless of the time of day. And we live in a society that is so body conscious that I think sometimes when we think of ourselves, we think of this shell. And as I get older and frailer, and get sick, I realize this thing is wasting away. But as it's wasting away, interestingly enough, I feel like my soul is growing, that my spirit is growing as the thing that can be seen wastes away. When I was struggling with my drop foot, when I had the back injury, I felt like the Lord said to me, your body is not who you are. And as I've been around people who are dying and their bodies have just completely given away on them. And we all, those of us who know Carol Alimenti have seen this in spades. A woman who's dying of cancer. The essence of who she is seems to be growing as she draws closer to the end. And her body is withering away to almost nothing. And so when you talk to Carol, you talk to people who are on the threshold of death and they know Jesus Christ is their Savior, there's an excitement about what they're, where they're going. But there's also a lack of focus on their bodies now and a focus on their soul and their spirit. This is indeed a very, very important subject for us to look at. John Ortberg, Ortberg in his wonderful book, Soul, Keep, Soul Keeping, and I would suggest that if you have a chance, this book, Soul Keeping, is great. It's written by John Ortberg, who's a pastor in California. And he starts his wonderful book off with this great story about the importance of protecting the soul. So bear with me as I share this story. There was a once a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of this beautiful stream. And the stream was fed by the springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam in it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, Far beyond anyone's sight lived an old man who served the keeper of the springs. He'd been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen trees or debris 
that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, town council, as town councils do, decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. No one knew, really knew who he was and who's he accountable to. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury that they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the, and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew elsewhere to live. The water no longer had the crisp scent that drew children to play in it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that fed the town. And the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life on the stream depended on the keeper. So city council reconvened. The money was found, and the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. The children played again on its banks. The illnesses were replaced by good health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. And the life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul. One of the, what I really want to talk about today is, and you are the keeper. What debris, what waste, what twigs, branches have gotten into your stream because you've left your soul unattended. You're not keeping what God has given you. Dallas Willard kind of defines the soul like this. At the center is your will, your capacity to choose. The problem with your will is it's bad at overcoming your bad habits and patterns and attitudes. No matter how good your willpower is, you can't will yourself out of sin. come into contact with a number of people who have struggled with pornography. And it's very difficult. They say, well, I just, I just need to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. And they want to will themselves out of this horrible thing that they've gotten themselves caught up in. But there's not enough will, willpower to get them out there. They, they've been sociologically and physiologically and psychologically brought into this, and it's very difficult for them to will themselves out but it's a part of your soul. Second part, Dallas Willard said, is your mind. It's the way we are conscious of things. It responds 
to things that come at us. It translates for us. We all know how important it is that it grow. But your mind in and of itself is not going to solve the eternal problems we have is what happens after this life. The body, our little kingdom, a place where our wills have a chance to be in charge. And this body is filled with all kinds of habits and appetites. But encircling all of this and integrating all of this, the operating system, if you will, is the soul. It's the program that runs the computer. It seeks harmony, connection, integration. It seeks connect with other people, with creation, with God himself. It is the person who we are. We know from Scripture, in fact, the word in the Old Testament for soul is nephesh. It finds itself in one form or another in the Old Testament 552 times. So it must be pretty important to God. And at the very beginning of time when we were formed, out of the dust of the ground, and God came and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We're reminded in Deuteronomy to take care and keep your soul diligently. Your soul made, is made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. From the very beginning of time, he breathed into us and gave us this soul. And this soul continues to seek God with all of its being. In the New Testament, you have one soul and gaining the whole world will not help you if you lose it, Jesus told his disciples. You have one. No matter how much money you accumulate or how much you gather, if you lose your soul, it's not worth it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet for forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? How's your soul? You know that parable in Mark, Mark 4? where the sower and the seed brings this beautiful seed and he brings it to four different soils. One soil is hard. One soil is clogged up with weeds and thorns. One is shallow and cluttered and one is fertile. Seed is constant. Sower is constant. It's God. The soil is our souls. Does he find hard soil or shallow or cluttered soil? Or does he find soil, our souls, that are ready to receive the seed he wants to bring? If your soul is health healthy, 
No external circumstances can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstances can redeem it, Dallas Willard says. When John Ortberg asked this wonderful man, Dallas Willard, soon before he died, what's the key to growing our souls? What's the key? And he was expecting this incredible, wonderful, philosophical, deep theological statement. And Dallas Willard said, stop. Hurry is the greatest enemy to our souls in our day. And people who live in Charlottesville probably should understand that better than anyone. I remember John saying 15 years ago, what's the mantle of pride that we wear on our shoulders when we talk to people in Charlottesville? Well, I'm busy. I'm really busy. You can't imagine how busy I am. And now that we have social media 15 years later, we're even busier. And Dallas Willard says, we need to stop and be. So why are we asking you one time a day to be in the Word and to pray? Just be. Be quiet. Allow Him to speak to you through His Word. Allow Him to speak to you in prayer. Allow Him to speak into your heart. Stop. The biggest challenge in for caring for our souls is stopping and allowing Him to work in our lives. Our souls are alive and need nourishment, but we don't often focus on our souls after salvation. After we've kind of done that thing, I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior, I'm done, that's when we begin the work of salvation. Allowing Him to come and to minister and work in our souls in the essence of who we are. You can do this with other people. And I'm not going to go through all these things. Let me stop here. You're probably wondering, okay, how do I know if my soul is functioning well or not? Here's some symptoms of soul neglect. Fatigue. Cynicism. Anger. Judgmentalism, disillusionment, apathy, martyr complex, being numb or on autopilot. Have I hit any of it for you all yet? Lack of focus, feeling empty, doubts, escapism, obsession, addictions, inability to pray. Anxiety, lack of peace, isolation, fear are all symptoms of a soul that's not being tended to. Your springs, you need to go to your springs, you need to go to those wells, and sometimes we just need to clean things out. And if you're not cleaning them out, these are symptoms of a dirty stream. What's your soul anchored to? I want to tell you a story. And many of you have heard it. And Julie's going to start playing a familiar hymn. 
as I tell you this story. There was a guy named Horatio Spafford, who was a very successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 19th century, the late 19th century. He had five kids. Tragedy hit their family when their four-year-old boy, Horatio Jr., died from scarlet fever. Two years later, he had put all of his investment into real estate in Chicago, and the great Chicago fire hit, and he lost almost all of his real estate to the fire. He and his wife and family had planned on going to Europe for a break and just to sort through the loss of Horatio Jr. But he couldn't go because of the fire and when he had to, he had to pull things together and the loss of his real estate. So he sent his wife and his four girls to go to Europe. And as their boat was crossing over the Atlantic, it was broadsided by another boat. And all four girls were lost and drowned. You can see the telegram that his wife sent to him. I'm standing alone. They're gone. So he gets on a boat to go over and to minister to his wife. And he, the captain of the ship knows what he's, going to, what he's doing. And right where they get to the point, the captain had knew this, where his children were lost. He calls Horatio Spafford up to the bridge and says, this is where your girls die. And that's when Horatio penned this famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I don't know if you picked up on it as we were going through the service, but all of our songs today dealt with the soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole. Is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine. For in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace for my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O the voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. 
And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. What's your soil look like? This is a man who was grounded in the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine pain and agony that he was going through. But oh, that I would have in the development of my own soul, the cultivation of my own soul, the ability, regardless of the circumstances, to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair and it will be satisfied. It is well with my soul regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening to this shell. It is well with my soul. May that day come when all of us can sing it in ways we can't imagine. And when he comes back, <laughs> it will be well, truly well. You know, the beauty of all this is the one who makes it well wants to remind us that he loves us beyond anything we can imagine. So he invites us to his table to remember what he did for us. That he died on the cross for us. That we don't have to carry our sins. That his blood will wash them away and set us free. That his body was placed on that cross as a sacrifice for you and me. That we too can say, it is well with my soul. Whether we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, or we're walking a trail of hallelujahs, it is well with my soul. So I invite you to come and rejoice in what he's done for you.